Hello and welcome to How to Be an Artist, a new podcast brought to you by Soho House. My name's Kate Bryan and I'm the head of collections for Soho House and over this series I'll be talking to a global lineup of influential contemporary artists who all feature in our art collection. We'll be considering what it takes to be an artist and especially what it means right now. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Hebrew Brantley. Hebrew was born in 1981 in Chicago and cites the Afri-Cobra movement, which originated in the city's south side, as a huge source of inspiration. Hebrew came up through graffiti and mural-based work and today is an established figure, recognised for his creation of Flyboy and Little Mama, that he employs to explore themes of nostalgia, power and hope. His instinct is to appeal those who have traditionally felt excluded from fine art spaces and to create a thoroughly non-elitist territory, whether through his pop language, comic book sensibilities, pop-up experiences or brand collaborations. He has become hugely successful across all these endeavours, with many celebrity collectors among his following, but the seriousness and focus of his intentions should never be underestimated. Hello, Hebrew Brantley, and welcome to the podcast. That was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> hi, how are you? Hi, it's, uh, it's lovely to speak to you. Let's, um, let's start by introducing two people that need to join our conversation today. It's not just me and you. We are, we're going to have to deal with um, these fantastic characters that are central to your work and mean so much to people all over the world, uh, Little Mama and Flyboy. To the uninitiated, they might be described as comic book heroes, um, but there's so much more to them. Can you tell us a bit about the historical reference? Particularly, I'm fascinated by the um, Tuskegee Airmen, who were the first black military aviators in the US Air Force. I believe they're kind of like the principal inspiration for the characters. Yeah, um, I mean, you know, going kind of far back into the sort of early days of, of my career and um, just looking to, you know, as every artist does, you're just trying to find your voice. You're trying to find, you know, your your visual language. And, um, you know, I think the things that I was creating uh, didn't necessarily feel like me. Um, and, you know, talking with a few older artists, more established artists, you know, they, they you know, kind of pointed me in the direction to, you know, Find, find that thing that, you know, conveys all of the, the parts of who I am and then can also, you know, express all of the other things that I want to say as, a, as an artist. And, you know, I, I was just, I grew up, you know, just heavily inundated in animation and, and comic books and manga. And, you know, I've, I, you know, my earliest memory was like my mom uh, my earliest memory in terms of the introduction to high art was like my mom kind of getting tired of me, you know, buying comics every week and, and draining her bank account, uh, asking for money and, <laughs> you know, really trying to nudge me in the direction of fine art and, you know, introducing me to the 80s pop movement, you know, in New York and, you know, like, you know, Basquiat, Francisco Clemente, you know, Warhol, Herring, etc. And, you know, it was there where it was like, this sort of this moment because it was like oh shit like these he's painting superman you know he's painting batman and this is art this is high art this is museum quality work and obviously it's more than just that with 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 some of these figures but you know that was a jumping off point and and sort of me coming to start to understand uh you know a different form of art other than the one in which i had been accustomed to and so you know, um, 
looking and doing a lot of searching for to figure out what that was, I kind of stumbled on it accidentally. Um, you know, upon returning home from college, uh, you know, going through my, my stepfather was, you know, he just liked to collect shit. Yeah, I don't even think he really, you know, divested much time into the things that he collected. But, you know, we had an extensive collection of books around the house. He would buy, you know, books from closing bookstores or, you know, Salvation Army for a quarter, buy a bunch and to just be around the house. And so I kind of started going through these history books and one in particular about World War II. And, you know, there was a section on the Tuskegee Airmen. And I kind of found it fascinating that, you know, in a time, you know, such as that where, you know, black people and people of color were seen as almost subhuman um, and still sort of forced to fight a war that we didn't have really any skin in the game, you know, on or, or, or voice in. Um, but but to do that with a grace, you know, to do that and, and to, to to have formed this this group of, of you know, extremely talented and capable, um, you know, fighter pilots that, you know, became obviously the historic Tuskegee Airmen and to fly these missions successfully. And, you know, I felt like there was also a freedom in flight, you know, and, and I think that I'm, I'm a person that always wants to explore some of the things that, you know, I have a sort of a natural fear of, and flying is definitely one of them. You know, I'm, I'm six eight. Really? And I'm okay. Because your, yeah. your characters are constantly soaring through the air. So, oh, wow. Okay. So it's a kind of catharsis. Interesting. It's definitely a catharsis. These are all my therapy sessions um, <laughs> right onto the canvas. <laughs> um, so you know, it's 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 a bit of that, but it, it kind of started there. I think it was just you know. Um, I come from, again, like, you know, my, my, my earliest introduction to street art, besides sort of traditional gang graffiti in Chicago, was sort of like the Afro-Cobra movement and, you know, um, you know, certain artists that, you know, were familiar, you know, on the south side of Chicago um, that participated in that movement. And, you know, I grew up on the south side and it's covered, it's littered with, 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 with murals, you know, and, and some of them are still there to this day. And so those were the things that I saw the most. I mean, it's fascinating to me because I, I hadn't known of the Afro-Cobra movement at all. And I, I can see that they would be a huge inspiration for you. I, I first learned about that part of art history just a couple of years ago. There was this amazing show, which I know traveled to the States, Soul of a Nation, which we had here mm -hmm. at Tate Modern in London. And it's 60 artists. And they were asking this question, you know, what did it mean to be a black artist in the USA during the civil rights movement, you know, it was the birth of black power. And this movement, Afrocobra, is founded, you know, your hometown sort of down the road, it's in the 60s. I've got the artists' names here, um, Jeff Donaldson, Wadsworth Jarrell, Jay Jarrell, Barbara Jones, Hugo, Nelson Stevens, Gerald Williams. And they even wrote this manifesto of black art, you know, so they were all quite different in their own way, but they sort of had like a principle of how to kind of operate or exist. And they shared this love of, you know, colour and text with imagery, which we see so much of in your work. But when you came, so I'm coming across them like much later on in a, you know, solid museum environment. When you were coming across them, so from what you've just said, I get the impression you were just coming across their work on the streets. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was it. That was my, my introduction and that was how I was associated with the work. It was simply on the streets. And, you know, again, early as a kid, like I didn't know streets, you know, I didn't know uh, street numbers or street names. I knew areas 
by like designated murals, you know, that's that's sort of how I knew how to get around, you know, on the south side. Like, oh, yeah, go up four blocks right by the, the Martin Luther King mural. You make a left. You know, it was that that type of uh, thing. And it just it was just so normal for me to see that. And, you know, it was. You know, I, you'd find yourself, you know, taking those long walks home, not wanting to be home as a kid. So, you know, you 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 walk the extended route and, you know, going past a lot of those and seeing those. And, you know, certain days it, it hits different, you know, certain days like you see you see certain parts of a piece that you didn't, you know, on, on others and it resonates different. And so, you know, that was like that was more than graffiti art to me, because, again, I felt the history of it and I also felt um you know the message of it and it, it just there was there was more context than just doing sort of traditional bubble letters or wild styles you know even though at the time you know graffiti culture was the way I got into all of this you know it was um you know Chicago graffiti culture was extremely extremely unique because um you know wasn't New York obviously sort of the mecca and then you have you know, California, they have their own sort of style and, you know, even Europe. But with Chicago, you know, we kind of we, we get information a little late. And um, so <laughs> we, we were kind of we were kind of the copycats. We were the imitators. We were doing our version of either, you know, New York or L.A. And, you know, there were a few artists that were, were you know, that were visionaries. You know, one is like Carlos Rolone design, who was you know, one of my, you know, great inspirations kind of coming up because he, he kind of took the, that form and just went, you know, so far left with it and creating these, these murals that, you know, it was just phenomenal. You know, they, they, they transcended traditional graffiti culture. And, um, but again, I digress. Let me go back a little bit and kind of answer this question. But, um, but yeah, I think with starting with the Afro-Cobra movement, again, finding uh, the history of the Tuskegee Airmen and then, you know, doing sort of my version of it initially. And it, it just started as, you know, little sketches uh, here and there in my, in my, you know, my sketchbook, pretty constant and, you know, um, sort of these these flying bug eyed boys, you know, with no real story or context behind them other than, you know, just style for style's sake. And they leaned more into sort of a traditional graffiti, you know, styling of, of, of characters. And um, I think over time, you know, they started to kind of speak to me a little differently. And I, I started to think about, again, that history of of of, of these 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 men and, and, and our history as, as a black, you know, my history as a black man. And, you know, um, do you think to a certain extent, because you because you were making the work primarily for yourself and you were creating these characters because you wanted to see something that sort of reflected your a, a more similar experience of your own, a, a more similar version of how you saw the world. But then as you start to grow an audience, do you, do you then was it then that you started to think, well, I've got to kind of backtrack and fill in the narrative of who are these people? Like they look a particular way because it was almost kind of intuition. It came from my gut. And now. Now I'm going to kind of build them out. Is that is that how it worked? Was that the next step? No, it's actually it's, it's a little opposite. So I thought about, um, you know, because I, I would engage in a lot of artist talks even early on, um, you know, whether I was an attendee or whether I was one of the people speaking or, you know, and just, you know, being prepared, I think, early to have 
an understanding of what these characters meant. And so the first show that I did, which was sort of this rinky-dink show that we kind of put on ourselves in, um, in the Arts District of Chicago, was a show that sort of presupposed that, you know, these characters were sort of characters lost to time, that, you know, there was like a Fleischer's type of studio that, you know, created a, 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 an animation about these young black kids that were modeled after the Tuskegee Airmen, but it was just something that never aired. Okay. So you're almost creating this whole other narrative, like a revisionist history, like putting them exactly. back in rather than adding them. Right. Yeah. Nice. Exactly. And so, you know, and it was a lark. It was a thing, you know, I wanted to do and didn't think about the longevity of it. It was just this moment. We'll do it. And, you know, I did it. And then, you know, had a few shows after, but the, the, the people that were coming back to these shows were looking for more of that, more, you know, more with those characters, more conversations, you know, and, and, and wanting to engage a bit further. And so I started adding them more and more to certain works, you know, whether, you know, very subtly or, you know, them being sort of the, the, the subject of the piece. Um, and yeah, just, you know, again, it was a slow build. Mm. But then it kind of came together in this amazing, um, almost apotheosis of those characters. You created this immersive experience, which was part installation, part theatre. It's 2019 in Chicago called Nevermore. 6,000 square foot space. So you're not messing around there. And then the viewer, they, they arrive. It looks like a traditional gallery. And then they encounter these different experiences. So, um, you know, over a dozen rooms, they go into one and there are newspapers talking about um various intersections of black history and then a room with a crashed rocket and it's got Kennedy's moon speech playing another room which is a sign graveyard which I was really taken with which takes these signs which come from formerly thriving areas of Chicago and then um sort of by the fact that the sign's kind of broken down references the fact that these areas are now sort of abandoned have not been cared for not been nourished and I thought it was so interesting that you sort of created this this landscape but you didn't really kind of give a particular um single narrative so you what I read about it was that people were going in and they kind of made of it what they wanted to make of it it felt like quite a generous proposition instead of like this is the life of my characters it's like here's a world and kind of almost in this like childlike fantasy way make up your own distinctions and readings and interpretations yeah I think I think that that's that to me is more appealing um, you know, obviously art is extremely subjective and, you know, for me, you know, prior to like Nevermore was last year, you know, and we're talking sort of a history of these characters now having spanned over, you know, roughly over nine, 10 years. And, you know, until recently, they never had sort of a, a, a prescribed, you know, uh, history. You know, there was never a backstory. There was never anything added on. It was just more me using these characters, um, you know, in a variation of, of ways of, you know, being satirical, being, um, you know, being a bit political and, you know, taking these characters and, and, and you know, exploiting them or, or, or sort of, you know, blowing them out of the context in which they were sort of originally created. And, um, you know, when Nevermore happened, it was... You know, I, again, I am, I think, you know, I, I don't really subscribe to a lot of the art world conventions or most, I think, you know, I think that, you know, some of that stuff 
it's just not for me. I won't, I, you know, I won't put anything down, but I just, you know, some of it's not for me. I think that, you know, I like fun. I like, I like thoughtfulness. I like engaging, yeah. you know, and, you know, sometimes art shows, you know, traditionally can sort of fall off. You go look at the art, it's great. And then that's it. And there's not, there's nothing that like sticks to your ribs. You know, it's like, I want to, I want to create hearty, wholesome meals, I think for the viewer and like leave. So, you know, like you, you go see a certain film and you, you're still talking about that film, you know, that night or the next day, you know, and it's, it's, it's one of those things that, I don't feel like I get a lot or often in the art world as much as I used to, I think. Um, but again, that could just be me. But anyway, I think with, with, with Nevermore, it was a situation where I wanted to do a few things. Um, I wanted to have a love letter to my city, you know, um, which is extremely, extremely important to me because, you know, Chicago has made, shaped, sculpted, molded me who I am and also, you know, by and large, my, my style, my, my stylings, my taste. And, um, I don't think that, I think Chicago again is, is in certain ways forgotten about by and large when it comes to the arts, um, you know, and it's just one of those things where, you know, it's, it's almost like a rapper, right? Like you, when you're a rapper, you know, you want to put on for your city. That's a big thing. That's a big moment. Like I want to, you know, sort of plant the flag. This is where I'm from. This is where I'm representing. And this is why this place is so cool because I'm from it, um, so to speak. But, you know, it was a big thing. Like I grew up in Chicago and I've always had these fantasies about this place that, you know, could potentially seem a little otherworldly. So infusing a bit of that, infusing, you know, uh, a bit of the history of Chicago, changing some of that history, looking at, you know, Chicago, sort of the, the flaws of Chicago, the, 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 you know, Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in the world. Chicago is not without its, its bad, you know, the violence, the gangs, the, you know, all of the, 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 the gook and grime that somehow make this place one of the, the most perfect places in my mind. And, um, <laughs> explore, exploring a little bit of that, exploring that history. Um, I love what you say about it being a, a love letter. I think just from looking at images of it online, it it felt like there was just so much care and attention that had gone into every aspect of it. I mean, it must have taken you a long time to pull it together. And in a, a certain way, I guess on a subconscious level, as you were just describing, it was it had been sort of coming together in your mind probably since your childhood, right? Because it was just a reflection of your relationship to this place. Yeah, I mean, I think the hardest thing was you know, um, sort of throwing certain things out, you know, this was initially kind of planned to be, um, you know, a bigger, uh, sort of proposition, a bigger exposition, ex exhibition. Um, and, you know, I, we kind of ran into some issues with finding a space that was large enough. Um, and so we ended up, I ended up just doing it at my, my old studio. Um, and I mean, it's still, you know, we still were able to do what we needed to do, but it was, you know, it was the hardest part was sort of editing, you know, what we were doing. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, again, I wanted it to be very meticulous. I wanted the detail to be there because I wanted to, to me, that that would sort of spawn 
the notion of like return visits, you know, I didn't get to yeah. see it all or that feeling of like, maybe there was more. And, you know, there was, I think a lot more than sort of meets the eye with a lot of the viewers, like, you know, not knowing or not realizing that certain things existed within the space. And, you know, I'd had several conversations with people about it and they're, oh man, I didn't know that I got to go back. And, um, but yeah, you know, I think again, it's it was something fun. It was, you know, it was a bit of Alice in Wonderland. You enter in through the auspice of like you're going to an art exhibition, and then, you know, at the furthest end of the, the 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 gallery wall is completely blown out, and there's a hole in it, and you you know you walk through that hole and you enter out on the other side into Nevermore, into this space, into this this other other world, so to speak. Oh, it sounds amazing. It sounds I'm so art starved at the moment in lockdown. <laughs> this is uh, uh, teasing me. I mean, I think it's interesting. Your work does not sit within a sanctified fine art space and, and probably quite consciously. You know, people have seen your work in vast numbers, but they're likely to have done that, you know, more likely to have done that on Instagram or coming to Nevermore or seeing a mural that you've made or a collaboration that you've done with Nike. How does it sit with you? Do you feel that it, you have to have... If you have one, then you can't have the other. So if you know if you get offered a museum show tomorrow, does that mean you can't work in the same way? Do they undermine each other, or or are we getting to a situation where artists can sort of dictate the rules a little bit more? I think there's always just been this sort of elitism and snobbery, and we we're all conscious of that. Um, there are people coming along like Takeshi Murakami, who you know hasn't necessarily emerged from a street art tradition, but certainly has got that pop culture sensibility coming straight out of manga. And he's been able to break down those categories, you know, like he he has sort of his household name. People have his skateboards and, you know, there's stuff all over the house, sweaters. He's a kind of a total part of the visual landscape of Japan and also around the world. But also, you know, we'll get an exhibition at a major institution. Are we are we getting to the stage where those boundaries are shifting? Do you care? Is it either or for you? No, it's not either or for me. I think, you know, Takashi is a huge inspiration of mine. I think, you know, when I found his work years ago, like I was blown away by it because of the things that you just said, you know, and I think that for me, I mean, you know, look at the times in which times are forever changing, you know, and I think that as, you know, the participants or the gatekeepers of the art world change and evolve i think that their the mentality changes and evolves i mean nowadays you have you know you have fashion designers doing museum shows you know art exhibitions and you have you know film directors doing art exhibitions and museums etc and you know it shouldn't be any different for the artists themselves to want to play outside in other spaces but then you know be able or be afforded the opportunity to tie everything back. You know, I've had museum exhibitions, I've had gallery shows, I've had, you know, shows I've put on myself, I've done work outside, I've collaborated with brands. You know, it's all it's all art. It's all creativity, you know, and it's 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 just different forms of it. And I think that, you know, for me, I'm just always one of those people, like I get bored fast and, you know, I want to challenge and to be able to um you know, look at, like, you look at a shoe, right? Like, a shoe is still a blank canvas, you know? It's it's how do you, how do you, you know, tell this story or form a narrative around this thing now? It's, that's a, that's a challenge, you know, instead of just, like, making something aesthetically pleasing, you know, art for art's sake, like, 
what's 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 the deeper sort of meaning behind this this creation and i think that i search for that in in all of my collaborations and that's i'm extremely choosy in my collaborations as well because you know i don't want to just again it's not just for the check it's not just for the you know for the bravado of like oh i i did this with them like that's not really it for me it's more about you know aligning myself with brands or folks that I have, you know, uh, an affinity for, or, you know, it's something that like, you know, I, I personally use, or, you know, I mean, I've done things with, um, you know, Nike, I grew up, I'm, I, you know, Chicago, you live in Chicago. There's two things as a black kid on, in the South side of Chicago that you are sort of is your birthright. You know, one is, is, is Jordan's <laughs> and Nike. Um, and two, you know, at a time, at a time now, it's like sacrilegious to talk about it, but it was like R. Kelly music. You know what I mean? It was like those were two Southside Chicago staples, you know? And I think for me, it's like, you know, being able to do collabs with Nike, being able to do collabs with Adidas, that's a part of my culture. Um, and, you know, like I did a, a, a collaboration with less of a collaboration, more sort of a, a sponsored um, ad with but with Cadillac a few years ago and and again for me it's like man that shit was everything you know my grandfather was a black man from Mississippi Cadillacs were the height of decadence you know like if you had a Cadillac you were the shit as a black man you know that was you've made it and you know that has always sort of stayed in the back of my mind and the imagery is so strong like I I can picture mm -hmm. him with his Cadillac like the way you that's they're, they're yes. potent these words aren't they they mean something to all of us we have like a kind of shared cultural landscape where we go oh yeah I know what that is I mean I was in London but I knew what I knew what Jordans were I knew what they meant you know I'm the same age as you and it was like you would have you would have killed for them yes you know, in my school. <laughs> and uh, you know I mean I've had times where I you know I, I tell a story all the time about like the time I got Jordan stolen right off my feet like that's how real it was in no. Chicago oh yeah oh, oh yeah no. walked home barefoot you know, it's, it's, it's with a hole in my sock, crying, snot bubbles. Oh, dude, don't tell me. Don't tell me. I can't handle it. But, um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's again, it's a part of the culture. But I feel like, you know, the things are changing. I mean, you look at, look at other artists. You look at, like, you know, some of my contemporaries, like, you know, from Derek Adams to Nina Chanel, two of my favorite artists in the whole world. You know, Nina just did a, a set of Uno cards for Mattel. Like, Uno is another, that's like spades in the black household. That shit is a staple. And they, they were executed brilliantly. They are beautiful cards, right, with her art on them. And it's a commercial product, but it still works. And it doesn't take away from anything that she's done in any other arenas. It just, it amplifies it to me. Yeah, and also I think it's so peculiar that we think this is a totally modern phenomenon and that we might possess any snobbery about it. A, it doesn't make any sense in the digital age when we're kind of cross-media the whole time, all of us, even if we're not exactly. artists. And secondly, look at the Italian Renaissance. Look at what those guys were pulling. I mean, they were working across so many different projects. You know, Leonardo was tasked with trying to divert rivers as exactly. well as being like the greatest painter of his age. You know, you just see a great mind, you see a creative mind, and you ask them to help 
solve problems, give solutions, think differently. And I think that's what attracted me to doing this podcast was to speak to artists about the way that they kind of make their work, but also, you know, that could be helpful to artists listening, but to non-artists, you know, to think about the way that the artists see the world and to explore problems and to find solutions creatively. There's so much we could get out of that, you know, altogether. I mean, you're, you actually studied um, film, you got your BA from Clark Atlanta University, right? So I suppose it was only a matter of time before these creations, these paintings, which were so cinematic anyway, let's be honest, would sort of find uh, their way into film. And I, I think you are now starting to work in film, am I right? I am. I'm, um, I'm doing uh, a few films actually over the course of the next couple of years, but um, starting, I'm really excited. I can't really talk about it too much, but I'm working on a, a project with Netflix right now where, um, you know, it's, it's everything I've ever wanted to do. The the twelve year old Hebrew. Um, so you know I'm I'm able to to do that and you know kind of take the the Julian Schnabel route of you know sort of teetering between two two spaces. Um, you know yeah. film and, and and fine art. So it's great. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of people who have done it historically. Um, Hebrew, you were very kind to uh, to be a judge on our first ever Sohouse Art Prize, which we um, presented with Bombay Sapphire, along with Maria Bauschor, who's the director of the Tate. Um, so I was in very nice company with the two of you. We looked at a huge amount of submissions from artists all over the world. I was really struck when we were going through them that you were so focused on the act of making. You know, you were really interested in the way that people would approach the physicality of whatever their creation would be, whatever medium they were talking about you were and you were kind of honing in on like what's their talent what's their experience and I, I I thought that was great that's why you want an artist with you right to really be thinking about that that real distinction I'm there looking for narrative and you're like how are they going to make that <laughs> um I was wondering what your takeaways were from looking at that volume of art in that particular moment in world history I mean it was summer 2020 which is just historic um beyond belief surely yeah no I mean I think like you, I'm a bit art starved as well. So, you know, being able to kind of go through that and, um, you know, look at other artists that, again, I wouldn't otherwise sort of be familiar with. It was great. It was a lot of fun. You know, um, I'm, I'm not the greatest judge because I always feel bad, you know, because you have to sort of declare a, a winner. And that's usually one person or yeah. maybe two, um, which is always the hardest thing. But, you know, I don't know, it's a great experience. You know, I, I, I love, I just love when my number's called, you know, when I can when, <laughs> when I can be involved. Like, oh, yeah, somebody's thinking about me. Okay, that's cool. All right, I'm there. Yeah. Um, so I yeah, mean, Sarah Hardy, who once had a sort of extraordinary journey because she's had to pivot and repivot because of this pandemic that we're in. Um, but she's working um, super hard and we're really excited to be able to present something. So what's the last year taught you? I mean, it's been it's been unbelievable. We've had the pandemic, the election, Black Lives Matter. Your art has always had this message of hope at its core. There's there is a sort of um, always a celebration, I, I feel like. And I'm wondering if you've managed to remain optimistic. And if you have, how have you done that? Help us. <laughs> um, I think. It, that's that's a really good question. Uh, you know, I think that ooh, it's 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 definitely you know it's been a tough year for everybody, and you know for me it's it's forced me to sort of go within and really evaluate the work that I'm putting out there and the work that I will you know sort of continue to put out there and what that messaging is, and you know, admittedly, 
you know, and I think the hardest thing is like, you know, admitting to myself that I have created, and though there is that sense of hope, but I have created for a great deal many years in fear. Um, and and what, what I mean by that is, you know, I think that as I create certain works, I evaluate those works from a few different perspectives. And, you know, the, the work that I present or put out has been primarily coming from one particular place and one sort of emotional place. And so I think that moving forward, one of the things that I'm really focused on doing is, you know, showing that range, showing that gamut, not just being, you know, it's not always sunny, you know, it's not always a bright day. It's not, you know, obviously keeping hope because hope is, hope is, you know, all we got, you know, when shit gets dark and we've, we've seen that over the past, you know, year more so than I think any time in, in my life. But I think just, I just, you know, it's like, I, I jokingly say it all the time. Like I wake up in the morning and drink a cup of fuck it and go about my day, you know, just like kind of. Oh, okay. I'm going to take that tomorrow. That I'm, that is me tomorrow morning. Thank you. That's a great gift of a phrase. Thank you. (laughs) I think we, yeah, we, we all, we all, we all need it. And so I think, you know, letting the work reflect that, that idea a little more, um, you know, in these next few exhibitions, um, you know, uh, that I have coming up throughout the, the, the course of this year, you know, um, really wanting to engage with 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 my audience and my followers i think in a deeper way that i haven't before so this podcast is called how to be an artist so in a nutshell how how do you respond to that how should one go about being an artist how are you an artist why be an artist in a few sentences what's your what's your advice for people i mean just make shit just you know there isn't I, honestly there's not there's no one path to being an artist you know an artist is you know less of a thing you do and more of a thing you are um and you know if you if you have an inclination to create create you know on a big scale small scale but just do the shit you know um i think that an artist has to deal with a, a tremendous amount of fear uh, daily, you know, and whether it's, it's all sort of about how you handle that, um, is what, you know, is what's going to sort of separate you from, from others. Yeah. Live in that space, that sort of risky space is, is kind of where you need Mm -hmm. to be. You have to, you, you, you absolutely have to. Hebrew, it has been so great to speak to you. Thank you so much for your time. I'm really excited to um, to see you in the flesh and to see some see some of your <laughs> exhibitions when when we're all out of this. Thank you so much. It's I been know. lovely. Thank you. As always, it's so great to talk to you. And um, yeah, you know, 21 is going to be a great year. I'm putting it in putting it in the, in, in in the universe. Yes, let the roaring twenties commence, Hebrew Bradley. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs>